Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. We help women through the heartbreak of miscarriage, and as a nonprofit, we run completely on donations. Our services help thousands of women, so please support us by donating through our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Thank you for tuning in. I have Arielle with me today who experienced a pretty rare partial molar pregnancy this past March and has been gracious enough to share her story with us today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. So take us to the beginning of this journey for you. So it was January of this year, and uh, my husband is actually in the Air Force. So we were stationed in Japan, and we were getting ready to move back to the U.S. And at the very end of January, I found out I was pregnant. And I was not, you know, we weren't trying, so it was a huge shock. Um, And then we moved back to the U.S. about three weeks later. So right before we came back to the U.S., I went and I got a my first ultrasound. And so that was about, I guess at about nine weeks at that point, um, or what I thought was nine weeks and okay. everything. Yeah. And everything looked great. Um, saw the baby, saw the heartbeat. It was measuring a little bit small. So they pushed me back to, I believe it was seven weeks and six days, um, which I thought was a little weird, but I have a sort of irregular cycle. So I, I figured they know best. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Yeah, right. So um, I started to get really, really, really sick right around then. So the flight back to the U.S. was really horrible. Oh, no. Like pregnancy symptoms? Yeah. Like I was, I mean, I was getting sick like upwards of 20 times a day kind of thing. Oh, wow. And it started when you were like after this ultrasound? Yeah, it started. Well, I started to get really nauseous before then, but right after that, like, I, I mean, it was like every day, all day long. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. What a flight. Oh man. Oh, it was horrible, (laughs) but we made it. Um, and then after I got here, I just, I got even more sick and I, maybe it was sort of jet lag combined with pregnancy combined with stress and new place and all the different things. Um, and I actually went to the urgent care and I had to get put on some medication because I was so, so, so sick. But they didn't think that that was strange. They just said, you know, you have bad <laughs> morning sickness. That's all day sickness. Um, so then I, let's see, man, I feel like it was so long ago at this point. So then I went at what would have been now 12 weeks to a midwife. And we talked and she was great, but she ended up having some trouble hearing the heartbeat on the Doppler. Um, and she said, you know, that can happen. You're still, you know, you're so relatively early. Um, why don't we just try an ultrasound really quick? And I have a really old ultra mach- ultrasound machine in the back. So we went to the back and she did an abdominal ultrasound and she kind of had a funny look on her face, but there was a heartbeat. And she was like, you know, this is a really old machine. I'm not really sure what I'm seeing, but I see a baby and I see a heartbeat. I'd like for you to go get, you know, your your a scan with like a more modern, I guess. Yeah, like a machine. regular ultrasound. Yeah. 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 So and it kind of I mean, I was a little nervous because the baby was actually in the exact same position at that scan as in the first scan. So I was like, hmm, I feel like that shouldn't be. But I don't know. I've never been pregnant before. So. 
there's a heartbeat, everything has got to be fine because there's a heartbeat. <laughs> um, so then two days later, we went to a regular OBGYN for what I just assumed was like just making sure everything was good, that we we're just verifying that everything was fine, basically. Um, and there was no heartbeat. So you went in. This is a like more normal ultrasound. Yes. And they can't find a heartbeat. Yeah. So it was at a different facility. Um, okay. They're kind of partner facility because I was being seen by a midwife, pre, you know, before, and she, you know, didn't have all of the, right. the medical equipment. Um, so it was like a more a more regular ultrasound, I guess. And she couldn't. I guess she said she couldn't get a good picture with an abdominal ultrasound. So she switched to an internal ultrasound. And oh man, my husband asked, you know, I couldn't see the screen. So my husband asked, is, is that, you know, is that the baby? And the ultrasound tech said, uh-huh. Um, oh, and I, so I was just like staring up at the ceiling, <laughs> trying to so tell myself like, hey, it's probably okay. You know, everything's probably fine. So then I asked, you know, is there a heartbeat? And she said, uh, so well, at least she told you. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to wait, but right. Okay, so you can't see the screen, so you don't know what it looks like. But they say no heartbeat. Yes. And then what? And then she said she needed to take a whole bunch of pictures. So it felt like forever, but it was probably only a couple of minutes that she started. To, you know, she was taking some images, and then she said I could get dressed, and that the doctor would come in and see me. And he came in. Um, and he was not very friendly, I guess you could say. Oh, no. Yeah, he wasn't very nice. But he said that it looked like it was probably a partial molar pregnancy. And he explained that that is what happens is a healthy egg is fertilized with two sets of fraternal DNA. So basically, two sperm or a double-headed sperm is what he said. Um and what happens is a baby, so a fetus, as well as like a tumor grows. And the tumor is actually the placenta. So the baby is like growing attached to this precancerous tumor, basically. Um, I don't know how best, however, <laughs> I don't know a better way to describe it, but that's what it is. And it looks like the placenta looks like it's got a whole bunch of bubbles in it. So it has like cysts, it's all covered in cysts. So it doesn't look like a normal placenta. Um, and it's growing really, really, really fast and producing a lot of HCG, which is why I was so sick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he explained some things. And I have kind of a fuzzy memory because I just, I just remember wanting to leave really bad. <laughs> Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and he kept saying things like how good the pictures were because he, he had never actually seen a partial molar pregnancy. So he was kind of, I mean, I hate it doesn't to make say, you feel better. No, no. It almost seemed like he was excited to see it. And, um, something that happens and that I've, I've heard from other women who have had the same experience is that immediately they stop assuming that it's a baby. And they just treat you, okay. You know, in a way that's like you just have a tumor now. Does that oh. make sense? 
does it make sense that they do that? No, that doesn't make sense to no. me, but I can understand <laughs> yeah. from a medical point of view, if they're just, you know, being, you know, no heart, no emotion while yeah. there's no heartbeat and there's this tumor. Yeah. So, right. I mean, but you had, there was a heartbeat there was, you know, so that has to be just so much information for you to take in. Yeah. So there's also, I, there's also a um, risk of cancer associated with it. So it, partial molar and complete molar pregnancies, they are precancerous conditions. So immediately they start saying, okay, one, there's no heartbeat. Your child did not survive. Two, you might have cancer or you might develop cancer. Um, and three, you're going to need to be tracked for the next six to 12 months to make sure that you don't develop cancer. So any plans on having a family anytime, you know, in the, I guess, future, not, not really in the future. Yes, you can have a family, but anytime in like the soon, <laughs> I don't know how to say that, but yeah, any plans of having a family soon are really completely put on hold. So it's just like a lot of information to take in all at one time. Okay. Um, so yeah. So then what? So I, was told that I needed to have a DNC because I guess the mole can continue to grow even after the baby is no longer living. So there's no, you can't just pass these on your own. You have to have this, you know, surgically removed and because they want to make sure that as much of the tissue or all of the tissue is taken out because, you know, of the cancer. cancer risk. Risk. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I asked if I could do it like today, like right now. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I know that I've, I've heard or I've read a lot of women say that they want to take some time. And I was just like ready for it to get out, if that makes sense. Um, and we couldn't, unfortunately, because of the insurance that I have. I had to wait for all kinds of paperwork to get done, basically. But I was able to get in about four or five days later. Um, and so I went in and I had a DNC. And then started like weekly blood draws and tracking my HCG down to negative and doctor's appointments and kind of the craziness of that came next. So during those five days, were you still feeling sick? Cause your HCG is still going to be through the roof. Yes. Yeah, so during oh, those days, so crappy. Still, yeah. Yeah. So during those five days, I was still throwing up 20 to 30 times a day. I was still, I mean, I was now able to take some, you know, different medications yeah. <laughs> um, to help that, which is, which was great um, because it definitely felt, I don't know, it was, it felt not fair that I was still sick because before you're sick and you're like, okay, one week, one more week down, you know, however many weeks to go, you, you're counting, yeah. you're saying six months and you all have a baby. So all of this nausea is worth it. All of this pain is worth it. But now it's like, what am I sick Screw for? this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was able to get some medicine, but yes, for those five days, I was still very sick. And how did the GNC go? Um, so part of this whole partial molar pregnancy process is you, you get big, like your uterus gets big fast. The placenta grows really fast. So there's a lot of tissue and there's a lot of blood vessels in there. So DNCs can be a little bit more complicated. So um, I did have a little bit of 
bleeding during the procedure. So it took a little bit longer than expected, but ultimately everything went fine. And um, the recovery was surprisingly okay because I started to feel better so soon after that, like in terms of the nausea. So I almost felt physically better after the DNC than I was the whole time I was pregnant, to be honest. Um, yeah, just because like the nausea, it decreased so fast. Right. So the, yeah, those five, I mean, yeah, the follow-up from that, like two weeks or so, I would say I was kind of down for the count a little bit. I was tired. And I think also just my body was like recovering from the being, being sick for so long as well. So it took, I felt like about two weeks to recover physically from the DNC. Okay. So pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what I've been seeing and reading. And I mean, yeah, the difference in my energy was like immediate, which was, I guess, kind of a. You, you take what you thing. can get. At this yeah. Point. <laughs> yeah. When you're at that point, you're like, okay, this sucks, but whatever. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. So this is all happening in March ish. That's huh. right. Yes. Yeah. So this was actually my appointment was on March 16th. So it was like the, the second half of March. Okay. Okay. And I mean, tell us about, so second half of March and now it's, you know, the second half of August. Yeah. What have these months been like for you? So the first 15 weeks were pretty difficult because I was going every single week to get a blood test to track my HCG and my HCG was dropping so slowly. Um, which is pretty common with molar pregnancies. Um, they, it's possible that there was like leftover molar tissue that was just dying off. So as your levels were decreasing, potentially there is molar tissue in there producing more HCG. Um, so it took a full 15 weeks before I got down to negative, which was really mentally and emotionally taxing because it's like every week is a new reminder. And then every week you're waiting for your results. Every week it's like, did they drop? Did they drop enough? Do I maybe have cancer? You know, so um, those first 15 weeks were really rough. But after that, I feel like, honestly, I feel like at that point I was able to like start to heal a little bit. So surprisingly at 15 weeks, it was almost more painful, I would say, than like right after the DNC and for the, for the next, you know, however many months, um, four months or so, because it was like a, chapter closed and I no longer had these like weekly appointments to look forward to. And I say that not really, not really look forward to, but to look forward to, I guess. Um, and so I, I was able to finally start to process the whole thing. So it was like four months down the road before I was like, it's falling over. apart. Yeah. Kind yeah. of, but really just like falling apart. Like I'm watching TV and I just like could not stop crying. Oh over no, like over seemingly nothing, um, which was strange. But since then, I feel like I'm actually able to start to heal. Yeah, at this point, I'm getting to a place where I feel like, okay, <laughs> I've had my first monthly blood test, which was also negative. So that's really, really good. Um, it's very rare for there to be a persistent mole after the first monthly negative test. So I'm probably in the clear for that. Like I can just kind of start to move forward with my life <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it sometimes it had it felt like the miscarriage that never ended. Um, yeah, that's a long time to be dealing with the same one for sure. Yeah, and it's still not over. I mean, I still have well, I guess four more months of monthly blood tests before it's really over, but it's starting to get there. <laughs> and they have told you not to conceive during this time. Correct. That's right. So they okay. they really really emphasize that because they won't know, I guess at first, if the HCG is from a persistent mole or pregnancy. And they also won't know, even after they determine like, okay, it, it is a pregnancy, they don't know if at the same time there's a persistent mole growing. So um, their, con you know, their concern really is you developing cancer. Right. At that point. Um, now in different countries, it's a little bit different. So here in the United States, there's really not a lot of research on this. In fact, some of the research is from like 2009. So the guidelines are from, you know, so long ago at this point. Um, but in other countries, there's a lot of research. So for example, in the United Kingdom, they actually have an entire organization called Charing Cross, which deals with um, what's called gestational trophoblastic disease, which is like molar pregnancies that that is that, and also choriocarcinoma, which is the cancer that can develop from that, um, and molar pregnancies. And so they have tons of research just because everybody in the United Kingdom that has this experience is being seen by them. And while it's a small percentage of women who have this, it's still thousands of women every year who have this experience of partial molar pregnancies and complete molar pregnancies. So they do have a lot of research over there that is just not being applied to the guidelines here. Um, so there's there's different there's different guidelines. There's groups on Facebook, and when you know you look in there, you see huge disparities between how people are being tracked and how they're being followed, depending on where, where they live. So what, what is the biggest difference? So in the United Kingdom, Charing Cross, once you get down to negative, you have one more monthly test. So you have one more test, which is one month later. Um, and if that's negative, you're released. So if I were in the United Kingdom right now, they would say, hey, you're good to go. You can go ahead and live your life basically and start mm -hmm. to put this behind you. Um, in Australia and I believe Canada, they have a slightly more conservative approach. They do three monthly follow three months of monthly follow-up once you reach negative for partial molar pregnancy. Um, and then here in the United States, it's six months of monthly follow-up, which, you know, that's a, a whole <laughs> discussion in and of itself, which I know that has to do with, you know, the values of, of medicine in different, of, of the medical community in different countries, and also just how risk averse <laughs> people in different communities are, so. Yes, unfortunately, in the United States, pretty much everything revolves around, I don't want to get sued. Yes. So they maximize, because I have people, I get messages every day of, how long to wait after a miscarriage, you know, just even one that was passed naturally. And yeah. doctors will tell them six months. And I'm like, the research doesn't show that. <laughs> that's that's right. not what the research shows. Um, right. So it, it can definitely be a little bit frustrating. And yes. so hang in there. <laughs> it, is, it is frustrating. And I know a lot of women in the United States who 
have this experience, they decide to go against their doctor's advice once they have that first monthly negative result um, because they feel like the experts in the world <laughs> say that at this right. point I'm good to go. So, you know, and that's their choice and that's up to them. Um, and sometimes they have a conversation with their doctors and some doctors seem to say like, okay, let's kind of split the difference and let's do three months. And it just depends a lot. My doctor is very adamant <laughs> that I wait six months, especially if she feels like because it took me 15 weeks to get down to that negative point. Um, and, you know, that's just what what she thinks. That's her professional opinion. <laughs> sure, yeah. And, and you have to do what you think is right. So if, right. if it's not time, it's not time. But, yeah. you know, you said that this pregnancy was a surprise in the first place. So how do you feel going forward um, about conceiving again? I did not know how much I wanted this baby until the baby was oh. gone. <laughs> oh, it's a, a fucked up way to find out how much you want a kid. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that okay. is very true. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely want to be pregnant again right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it will happen. You yes. Know, you know that, but the waiting is awful. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I think, I think that it just feels, it feels like you, you just start like making these plans for this little person, you know, like you plan its whole life <laughs> a little bit. Um, and then it's just taken away from me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I felt like it was the timelines that suddenly didn't happen. Yeah. That timeline is still real to you. Yes. And it just is not supposed to exist anymore. But you're like, what? Wait a second. I, I planned this out. Like I pictured where the crib's going to go. I, I thought of names. I, you know, where are they going to yeah. go to school? And then suddenly it's just like supposed to disappear, but it doesn't. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. And then they tell you, not only is this not happening with this little person, but also you need to wait what feels like a lifetime <laughs> for that. I mean, it person. is for you. This is yeah. this is a long time to wait. Yeah. And I, I mean, I feel for women who have complete molar pregnancies so, so much for them because they actually cannot they have more of a risk of cancer. So they really need to wait longer. Even in the United Kingdom, once they reach negative, they have to wait for six months. So that's basically what we do for partial molar pregnancies here. So my experience, which is going to ultimately be about eight to nine months, if I follow my doctor's advice to the T, that is normal for complete molar pregnancy women in the United Kingdom. And here in the US, once they reach negative, they have them wait for 12 months, which is so long. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's so, so, so long. And in complete molar pregnancy situations, there's actually not a fetus. So in an egg that contains no genetic material is fertilized. And the male's DNA then duplicates within the egg. So there's not even a possibility for a fetus to form. Um, it's basically just the mole, the molar tissue. So when they go in for their first ultrasound, they find out not only is there no baby at all? But also there's a very real risk of cancer 
and you need to wait for months and months and months over a year or up up to a year to can you know to even try again. So that's really that's really difficult <laughs> for them for sure. Yeah. What has been the best resource for you? I mean, you've gotten very educated on this and it's not a topic many people know about. So what is the best resource that you found for just learning? So there's some really great Facebook groups um, with women from all over the world in there, all stages of recovery, I would say, from this. Um, both there's partial molar groups, there's complete molar groups, and then there's just molar groups. So for both partial and complete molar pregnancies. Um, for me, having experienced a partial molar pregnancy, I actually found the groups that have both complete and partial molar pregnancy experiences in them a little bit too overwhelming, um, just because more women who have complete molar pregnancies do develop cancer and you know have those issues than women who have partial molar pregnancies. So reading those stories all day, every day, when I'm like in the middle of getting blood tests and this and that, that was just, it was too much for me to handle emotionally. So I actually removed myself from those, but they are there. So for a lot of women having, you know, both of those situations together is helpful. Um, and then there's the Charing Cross website, which is the organization in the United Kingdom that handles this. They have tons of information there. And I actually emailed them and they sent me a study. They did a retrospective study. They published a retrospective study of over, I think it's 20,000 cases. And about half of them were partial molar and about half were complete molar. Um, and that was probably one of the most helpful resources that I found myself. Um, so contacting then, them. Yes, contacting them, their website, the Facebook group, and then just Googling, honestly, just reading anything and everything. But the difficult thing about that is, um, is that sometimes you find that, like, for example, the Cleveland Clinic's website, on their website about partial molar pregnancies, their citations are actually for studies that are done about complete molar pregnancy. So it's like kind of a wormhole that you fall into of like trying to figure out, are you talking about complete molar? Are you talking about partial molar? Like, does this really apply to me? Because complete molar really doesn't apply to me at all. Um, but there's such little about partial molar. So it's kind of a, it's difficult. Lots of middle of the night Googling <laughs> for sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, but those groups, there's also an after my molar pregnancy group on Facebook, which is great for me at this point because I feel like I'm, you know, sort of on the upswing of things finally. Um, so I can see both like success stories on conceiving and birthing healthy babies or, you know, just ask questions about people like how they are doing now a year, two, three years later. Um, and so that's, that's great to have the different groups because you can really find a place that works for you wherever you are. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you're ready. Yeah. When you're ready yeah. to switch to that group. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything else? Um, I think that, I mean, that's it. I guess I would just say for women who are having a partial or complete molar pregnancy, um, that it's okay, even the feelings that you're feeling that seem like, like that you're feeling guilty for feeling. Like for example, 
this sounds horrible, but myself and many other women who have this experience are almost envious of other women who have like quote unquote normal miscarriages. And I know how horrible that sounds and we all know how horrible that sounds, but it's true because this just has different layers. Yeah, and it's so valid. It's very yeah. valid. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a lot of guilt associated with that because it's like, oh my gosh, how are you feeling envious of somebody who lost their baby? Because this is like the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Um, but it's it's true, and and I think just making sure that people know that that's okay. However you're feeling is okay, even if those feelings may seem bad, <laughs> quote unquote bad. You know, like. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to be envious of women who are pregnant. I mean, it is. It's a loss, and that's a reminder of that loss. And however you're feeling is, it's okay. I agree. Yeah, that's an awesome reminder. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I mentioned right before we started recording. I just had a request. Um, someone asking if I had a podcast on molar pregnancy perfect timing. So thank you. Thank you um, for sharing not only your story, but also so much information. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for doing what you're doing. You're very welcome.